All right. Good morning, church. It's great to have you with. The light cue means it's my time now. No, I'm kidding. Come on, it's God's time. Here we go. Hey, good morning. Welcome to uh, Cedar Mill. I'm Pastor Dave, and we're thrilled that you're, you're here for worship this morning with us if you're a guest or visitor. Um, we are continuing our series through this section in the Gospel of the Luke that, uh, that we're calling The One. And it's been a, a series where we've really just explored who Jesus is and, and, and the depth of His kingdom in a wonderful way. And this morning we're looking at a, a passage in Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 10 through 17. So if you have a Bible, pull one out. Um, if you forgot yours and don't have one, we have one for you in the pew rack right in front of you or underneath your seat. If you're using one of those Bibles, we're on page 841 today. And, and as you turn, let me give you a, a piece of information that might just pique your interest about the passage that we're looking at today. Outside of the resurrection of Jesus, which is actually a pretty cool event we'll celebrate here in a couple weeks, outside of that, the story we're looking at this morning is the only miracle story other than the the resurrection that appears in all four Gospels. So, perhaps, maybe just maybe, there is something so central to the Jesus message of this story that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record their version of this moment for us. Today we're, tooking, we're, looking at, we're, tooking, we're looking at Luke's version, starting Luke chapter 9 and verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, But the the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Well, as we begin uh, our story today, the twelve have just returned. And if you remember from last week, Jesus had sent them out as a group to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God coming to earth through him. And we notice that when they return, Luke does not give us any information about what happened when, when they were out. It's actually a big disappointment to me, isn't it to you? Don't, you? don't you just wish we could hear what happened, what they did, what they encountered, the miracles that God used them to perform, the people who came to faith and surrendered their lives? No, none of that. Luke completely skips over that. Apparently they tell Jesus, but Luke does not tell us. And friends, I point this out... Because I want you to know this. Luke ties these two stories together. 
He, he moves straight in from the, from the story of sending them last week into this story of feeding the 5,000, tying them together because what he was teaching us last week about what it looks like to be God's people sent out into the world, he will continue that lesson for us today. And a story that began in Luke chapter 9, verse 1, with 12 men going out into the world, will wrap up this morning in verse 17 with 12 basketfuls of extra food. You see, this is, this is an entire scene bracketed by this number 12. 12, that was such a significant number in the Bible, significant to the Jews, significant in the Old Testament. The 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, a number that tells us there is now a new way in Jesus to live as God's people in this world. And that's what both of these stories, last week and this week, are about. It's all about being God's people in the world. And we'll learn more about that this morning. So the disciples come back from, from their adventure, this excursion... And Luke tells us that Jesus took them with him and they withdrew by themselves. Notice the the words he chooses carefully there. To a town called Bethsaida. So so they want to be alone. There's this sense of we need to get away. We've been busy. We've been doing the work of the kingdom. We need a break. We need some rest. Perhaps they needed some time to debrief. But here's where the plot of our story begins this morning. The crowds learned about it and followed him. The crowds learned that Jesus is getting away and they begin to follow. He welcomed them and spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God. The message of Jesus, always the kingdom of God. That he's the king who has come to make things on earth the way God intends them to be once again. That's the good news of Jesus. And he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. You see, the kingdom is always about healing and redemption and restoration and things being made the way God wants them to be. That was last week. Go back and review that if you need to. The point Luke is making here is this. So much for a break. So much for rest. So much for this plan to withdraw and get away and just be by themselves. Not going to happen today. Verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Now, before we get into this too far, I just want to ask this question. How many of you can relate to the disciples in this moment? Anyone here just feel like, I, can, I totally understand where they're coming from? Right, yeah, absolutely. This is a very fair question. This is a very fair statement. This idea is not crazy. I mean, they're just simply considering the facts, aren't they? Just being reasonable, practical, lots of hungry people, no food carts. It's getting kind of late. Let's be proactive here, Jesus. Let's solve this problem the only logical way it can be solved. Friends, first question for us this morning that this text begs us to ask. Where in your life are you so focused on the tangible facts in front of you that you've forgotten about the miracle-working power of Jesus in your midst? Where in your life are you so focused on the tangible facts in front of you that you've forgotten about the miracle-working power of Jesus in your midst? You see, 
What Luke needs us to know, what he's teaching us through this story, his church, the people that will follow God in this world, is that kingdom advancement will never happen in your life. Hear this. Kingdom advancement will never happen in your life or through your life in this world if the decisions you make are always only driven and determined by the sum total of the facts that you have. Kingdom living includes, but is never just limited, to information assessment. And now the stage is set. Now the scene is ripe for Jesus to teach his guys, and in turn, you and I, this very lesson. Verse 13, what's his reply? What's his response? He replied, you give them something to eat. Now, you know, one cool thing about the Greek language is that the way it's written Um, Unlike in English, you don't need italics or or underlining to sort of note which word is being emphasized, which word is getting the emphasis. The way Greek is written, you always know which word is the focus and which word do you think Jesus is emphasizing in this statement. Three guesses and the first two don't count. (laughs) You. You is the emphasis of this statement. What Jesus says is this. You give them something to eat. You do something for them. Don't you dare punt this opportunity to bless and feed and satisfy these people just because the odds are stacked against you. Don't even think it. If that's how you're going to live your life, Jesus would say, and make decisions, the kingdom's going nowhere. Because guess what, friends? Most of the time, the facts will tell you, you don't have enough time. You don't have enough money. You don't have the emotional bandwidth or the relational currency or the level of patience and forgiveness required to love that person or to step into that ministry or respond in that way. You see, facts will never say it's smart to love your enemy or turn the other cheek or selflessly give your time or share your possessions with radical generosity. Friends, If you're just following the facts, you're going to have a real hard time following Jesus. In fact, the Bible says even the gospel, the good news of the fact that Jesus has come to redeem all of creation through his death and resurrection, the Bible even says even the gospel, even that, looks like what? Foolishness until you trust it. You see, if you're only going to follow the facts, if you're only going to follow the trail of information, you'll never even get to Jesus because it will look like foolishness to you until you trust it, until you trust Him. Where in your life, second question, where in your life are you waiting for God to do something but He may be asking you to take some steps of faith first? Where in your life are you sitting back and you see Christians do this all the time? Lord, change this. Lord, do this. Lord, move in this area. God, if you would only... And how many times do I wonder if God is just sitting there saying, you do it. You act on it. You move on that initiative. You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. 
Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Now this is kind of funny because this is just like the standard box lunch of the day. These, these loaves are not giant loaves. They're small little loaves almost the size of crackers. And so this would be like, hey, the standard box lunch you'd pick up at the deli that someone would bring along. We've got one box lunch, Jesus. Probably two pickled herring or something um, in here. We've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And then... Luke adds this little footnote just to drive the point home for us. Notice it there in brackets in verse 14. About 5,000 men were present. Now, a lot has been made uh, by commentators and Christians over the years about how many people this is really. I mean, if there are 5,000 men, then including the women and and children, there's potentially 15,000, 20,000 people present here. Uh, Some scholars, however, believe this may only be a group of men gathered for for some some different reasons. But that is actually not the point. For Luke, the point, the main point, the point he's trying to make is simply this is a lot of people and not a lot of food. Sorry, Jesus, the disciples seem to be saying. We've looked at the options, projected all the possible outcomes, and with the current food-to-face ratio, it's just not going to happen today. You see, friends, this is why faith is so hard. Faith is fun to talk about. Faith is a great little buzzword. I love sticking it on a bumper sticker or on that little thing that goes around the license plate on the back of your car. It's a great little word to talk about in church. But living out faith is difficult. And here's why. Following Jesus is not actually easy for us because we like to see how things are going to work. We, we want to see how it's all going to lay out. We're, we're down to follow God. We just want Him to let us know in advance how it's all going to go and to clearly show us what path you're leading us down, Lord, and where it's headed. I'm down to follow. Just give me the plan. A good friend of mine uh, turned me on to a story that I think illustrates this point wonderfully. It goes this way. The brilliant ethicist John Cavanaugh went for three months to work at the House of the Dying in Calcutta where he was seeking a clear answer to his question, how best should I spend the rest of my life? On his first morning there, he, he ran into Mother Teresa and went walking with her. She asked him, what can I pray for you? Cavanaugh asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray, she said. Then he voiced the request, hear this, that he had traveled thousands of miles from the United States to ask, pray that I have clarity. Mother Teresa responded firmly, no, I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and it must be let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity that he was longing for, she laughed and said this, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you will trust God. My friend Jesse follows up this story with these words on his blog. Clarity's great when it's afforded to you, but don't let it hold you up when it's not. Move forward, open doors, look around, submit your plans to God and trust He'll guide you whether you can see or not. You know, often when I'm preaching, something God will do, he'll, something He'll orchestrate is that He will 
sort of force me to experience and live out, um, sometimes in bigger and sometimes in smaller ways, uh, the very principles that I'm either planning to teach or have just recently taught. It's one of those great blessings and curses of being a pastor. And I don't know if this is just a psychological thing where the, the Word of God just gets in my mind and it just starts to come out, or if it's really the Holy Spirit sort of inflicting me with these opportunities to grow. And I chose those words um, intentionally there. Uh, but this week w- was, was not any different. I uh, went into this week with a, a plan for my message. I had a really busy week, going to be gone out of town for spring break next week, a lot to do, but I was ahead on my sermon. In fact, there was a sermon I was planning to preach that I'd been thinking about for a long time. It was all set to go until all of a sudden, on Tuesday late morning, Pastor Matt walked into my office, which is usually a really good thing, but in this case, not great news because he had some ideas. <laughs> and we sat and we hashed out a few things and decided on Tuesday afternoon that we were going to go a little bit of a different direction with the sermon for this week and next week heading into Easter. And so all of a sudden, on Tuesday afternoon, I went from very clearly knowing what I was going to preach to completely starting over. And when I went to bed on Tuesday night, I had not even read the passage that I was preaching on today. And and just so you know, that's not normally how we do it. We don't like save it all for like Friday afternoon and then just write something quick. And so this was a little unnerving. And that night at about 3.30, all of a sudden, wide awake with my mind just spinning and racing and going and thinking about all the things that I had to get done this week and trying to figure out where does writing a brand new sermon from scratch fit into my schedule. And I could not find a place. Um, How many of you have experienced this before in your life? This waking up, mind spinning around sort of thing. If not, wait till you get a little older, kids. It's coming. Um, <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to do this, and there's just not time. But sure enough, the next morning when I open, my, open the scriptures and I read this passage, it does not surprise me at all when Luke starts to remind me that following Jesus and living a kingdom life means signing up for the journey where it's not clear and we often don't feel that we have enough to accomplish the task before us. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 14, have them sit down in groups of about 50. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. Five loaves, two fish, thousands and thousands. They all ate and were satisfied. Friends, there is such a rich combination of truths intersecting in this text. First, Jesus says, you do it. Step out. Jump into this problem. See what you have and what's required. Know that you don't have what it takes, but if God is asking you to do it, you go anyway and engage and step out in faith. But then, then, what does Luke tell us happens next? He says, you do it, but then Jesus takes what they have. What they have to offer, the the, the small, insufficient offering that they have, these five loaves and two fish, they end up in the hands of Jesus, and he begins to do his work. Now, before we move on, let me just say, the way Jesus, Jesus chooses to do this miracle is, I believe, significant. I mean, maybe you've never thought about this before because you just sort of assume that he'll do it the way he does it, but but if you step back and think about it, he could have performed this miracle in any way he wanted to, couldn't he? 
I mean, he could have waved a magic wand and suddenly food would have just appeared throughout the crowd. Right? He could have, he could have spoken into existence a giant buffet table down by the shore for people to sort of line up and begin to feast from. He could have snapped his fingers and put the food straight into all of their bellies. This would be like a full service miracle. No chewing even required. Just bam. Oh, I'm full. I'm stuffed all of a sudden, right? He could have done any of those things, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Instead, what does he do? Jesus chooses to use the food that they have. He uses their offering to do his work. He uses their little thing to do something big. You see, the message of how kingdom works, work gets done here is this. Don't just sit around and pray and wait for God to change the world. That's not the way the kingdom works. It also doesn't work by just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and trying to advance the kingdom by your own strength and gifts and talents and energies. No, it's neither. Luke's message for the church, for the people of God in this world is this. God longs to partner with us to do His work in this world. That's how He chooses to get the job done in this place where we live. He chooses to use what you and I have. And to be more specific, what Jesus teaches us here is this. If you, take, if you will take what you have, what little you have to offer, and put it in the hands of Jesus... He can do amazing things with it. How many times actually do we see that in the Bible? I mean, if you go back to the beginning of the Bible and work yourself, work your way all the way through, Old Testament, New Testament, you'll find this pattern repeated over and over and over again. It's amazing we don't have it down by now. One great example comes to mind. It's the example of Moses. Think about the story of Moses. God comes to him and says, Hey, Moses! I'd like to use you to do this enormous, amazing, awesome thing of freeing my people from slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. And, and what does Moses say when God offers him this and tells him this? You know, hey, you feed them. You go do this thing, right? Moses says, well, you know, God, I've been looking at the facts and I've calculated the military force I bring compared with the army of Pharaoh and the size to weight to manpower to weaponry ratios. They're just not adding up. So sorry, God, it ain't going to happen. You've got the wrong guy. And then what does God say to Moses? God says, well, Moses, I know you don't have much, but what you do have is that staff there in your hand. And if you'll trust me, if you'll hand that staff over to me, if you'll let me use that meager little piece of wood that you've got, even though you can't see it, and even though it's not clear, I can take what you have, I can take that staff and do some things that you can't even imagine. What do you think, Moses? Want to hand that staff over to me? Let me use what you have to offer. You see, friends, that's the way God works and that's the message Luke offers us this morning as God's people. Even when what you have to offer is insufficient, if you'll turn it over to Jesus, amazing things can happen. Here's what one scholar I read this week says. He says, The disciples need to see that they can accomplish things they never dreamed of doing through their association with Jesus. And then he says, only the limits of their vision will prevent them from moving forward in ministry. His 
presence changes the equation of what is possible. I thought that last line would just be extremely helpful for all of you Intel engineers out there. His presence changes the equation of what is possible. Jesus is like the X factor in the equation. Now let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because this is really where it all comes down to. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus can take your little offerings and do amazing things? And not just in that, like, I'm in church right now, and so I'm supposed to say yes. I'm supposed to answer by saying, of course I believe it. But, but where the rubber meets the road in your life, do you honestly believe this is true? Do you live this way, or is it just a nice, neat little phrase that a pastor would use in a sermon? I'm going to push you a little farther still. One of the places... God says, you can check your heart on this issue. You can check like down deep and say, do I really believe that God can take my offerings, insufficient as they are, and use them to do amazing things? One of the places you can, you can check your trust and belief in that reality is this. It's in the area of your money. You want to know if you really believe God can take what you offer and do amazing stuff with it? The Bible says this, look at how much money you give to the work of God in this world. Just look. Just check it out. Now, before you write me off, because I'm a pastor talking about money, let me just say this. Hear me on this. The Bible talks a lot about money. And here is, I believe, why. Money is objective. It's very black and white. There is very little gray area when it comes to money. You see, sometimes it's hard to tell how much I'm handing God emotionally. Sometimes it can get kind of fuzzy when trying to determine how much have I given God in this relationship or relationally. Sometimes it's hard to even determine how much time am I giving God, am I keeping for myself. Sometimes those things can get murky and we can, we can deceive ourselves. But with money, it's easy. It's right there, black and white, very objective. Here is how much I have given to God. Here is how much I haven't. Here is how much I'm willing to put into His hands. Here is how much I trust Him. Did you, did you know this? The only thing in the Bible we're allowed to test God in is in the area of money and our giving. Did you know that? The Bible actually says, don't test God. Don't test God. But very explicitly it says, God says, test me by giving me your money. Test me. Let me show you how faithful I am. Malachi 3.10 When it comes to our giving, God says, test me by giving fully and completely and generously and sacrificially. And God says, and see if I don't do amazing stuff in you and through you and with what you've given. And, and see if I don't continue to bless you and take care of you. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think God calls us to test Him through our giving and our money? Why not in another area? Why does He choose money? Here's what I think. I think God challenges us with this very objective thing that's outside of ourselves because, he, because ultimately God is going to ask us to trust Him with things much more difficult than our money. Compared to what God ultimately and truly wants from you, money's a piece of cake, friends. God's going to ask us to, to trust Him with things that are much more personal and attached to our personhood than simply our cash. But if we've tested him with our money and he's proven himself faithful, then maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to trust him 
with our emotions. And if we've tested him with our money and he's proven himself faithful, then maybe, just maybe, we'll be able to hand over to him our families, our abilities, our relationships and insecurities and struggles and schedules and gifts and talents and time and even our brokenness. Maybe we'll even be able to hand over our insecurities and brokenness because if he's proved faithful with our money, maybe I can trust him with some stuff that's real deep in here too. Where is God calling you this morning to take what you have and put it into his hands? If it's financially, friends, if God is saying, test me, try me, just do a little experiment. You don't have to do it here. You can do it somewhere else. But if if you're curious about that, we have our very own Anna Russell, who was mentioned earlier. She's like a celebrity today. Um, she's going to be doing, and she's a penny pincher, man. She runs our budget around here, and she like milks every single dime she can for kingdom use in this church. She's going to be running a class called Basic Budgeting 101, Where to Begin, just helping you figure out, getting your finances together so that you can actually have some money to put towards kingdom purposes. If that's a struggle for you, check out Anna's class. Some of you on April 12th will be interested to know that Gene Christian, a ministry partner for many, many years around here, will be coming to speak about estate planning. And he's going to talk about the five documents every believer needs to to complete in order to have their affairs in order, in order to develop a God-honoring estate plan. An estate plan that will help you take care of your loved ones and put money in the hands of Jesus even after you're gone. Check that out on April 12th after both services. Get information and be blessed by Gene. Maybe that's where you're at right now. But here's the question, friends. Don't miss this question. Consider it today. Where in your life, be different for probably everybody in here, where in your life are you just practically and honestly looking at a situation in front of you, and the fact of the matter is this, you don't have enough. What you have to offer isn't going to fix it, solve it, make it better. You know on your own, with what you have, you are going to fall miserably short. You don't have enough emotionally to deal with her. You don't have enough relationally to tackle that family issue. You don't have enough vocationally to to deal with the things that are happening in your workplace. You don't have enough financially. You don't have enough time or patience or grace or forgiveness or courage for whatever it is. Where in your life are you tempted to look at God and say, I just don't have enough to tackle this thing? Because you might be right. In fact, you probably are. But the question is, will you take what you have and put it in the hands of Jesus? Will you give it to Him and let Him do with it what only He can do? You see, this story, it ends with such an unbelievable statement. I mean, you think about this story. Five loaves, two fish, thousands fed, thousands full, thousands satisfied. And you think that has to be the high point, but it's not. Luke closes with a bang. And here's what he says. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the message is simply this. 
When God's people give Jesus what they have, when we take our insufficient efforts and put them in His hands, He not only uses what we bring to bless and feed others, but there is always abundant, full, life-giving provision for us as well. You see, the one who seeks to be a blessing, when we put our resources in the hands of Jesus, when we give Him what we have, we in turn get blessed. There's bread left over for you and me. And, And friends, in the Bible... Bread always equals, always stands for life. And what Luke wants you to know is this. Where you find true life, everlasting life, life that will never disappoint you, let you down, and will ever satisfy your soul is not in anything in this world. And you certainly don't find it by holding on to the things that you have. You find life in this world when you give all of yourself, everything you have and are, to Jesus. And if you're here today and you think, man, that sounds awful scary. How do I know I can trust him? How do I know I can trust him to take these things in my life that feel so personal? Here's how you can trust him. You can give him the things in your life because he has already given his entire life for you. That's, that's, that's the message. That's the message of the gospel. God doesn't say, hey, give me your stuff. Just trust me. He says, no, let me first give you all that I am. And my body will be broken like this bread that you might know the depth of my love and care and concern for you. And friends, if you need that reminder this morning, that's why when we gather, we celebrate this meal called the Lord's Supper. It's this moment where together we come around the table and we remember through the bread and through the cup the sacrifice of our Lord. We remember that His body was broken like the bread, that we might have life, everlasting life. And because of that, we can trust Him with the things and the stuff in ours. So I want to give you some time today before you walk out of here into spring break week and schedules, and appointments, and tasks, and chores, and all the things that this life is full of. I want to just ask you to take a few minutes and ask God some of these questions we've been pondering this morning. Lord, where in my life are you calling me to offer up just a bit more? A bit more of who I am, or what I have, that you might take it and do amazing things. And when you're ready to do that, when you're ready to give that thing to Jesus, some of you may just need to sit and say, God, where is that for me? Where is that in my life? But when you're ready, and you've spent some time with the Lord, then come to the table, and through the bread and through the cup, remind yourself of how faithful He is and will be with whatever you have to give Him. And one of the images I love from this story is the image of, of these, these loaves of bread being passed around and people just tearing off pieces. And so this morning what we're going to do as a way of just stating again as a community, we love you, we trust you, we want to give more of who we are to you. We're going to ask you to come forward and uh, just tear a piece. We've got little pieces of flatbread here. Just tear a piece off, take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup, into the juice, and then just receive communion right here at the table. And uh, I think it'll become pretty clear when you come to the stations. But do business with, with God, and when you're ready, come to the table and declare the faithfulness of our Lord through this meal. Father, thank you, Jesus, that you would choose to use me that you would choose to use us, that you would choose to use Cedar Mill Bible Church 
this flawed, broken, insufficient group of people to have impact in this world for your kingdom and make things the way you long for them to be. Jesus, that humbles us. And so we just have to worship you and adore you and thank you. For people right now in this room, I pray that your spirit would bring to mind just those places where they need to offer a bit, where you're calling them out, where you're asking them to be vulnerable and to put their faith in you. So highlight and illuminate those places in our minds and hearts, God. And that they may not just be things we think about, but that we may follow through and truly figure out what it means to give you the offerings of our hearts and lives. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.